Hey guys, it's me, Nancy Jane Smith. A great big welcome back to a brand new season of The Happier Approach, the show that pulls back the curtain on the need to succeed, hustle, and achieve at the price of our inner peace and relationships. Last season, we went on a journey to the magical land of self-loyalty and met up with all our old friends and frenemies along the way, like the monger, the BFF, and the biggest fan. This season, we're tackling a new topic, change, through a self-loyal lens. How can we create change within ourselves while maintaining a kind mental attitude? Sounds easy, right? Well, over the past year, I've made a lot of changes. And let me tell you, it hasn't always been easy. I've tried to be more self-loyal in the way I show up for my business. And guess what? It's actually changed how self-loyal I am in my day-to-day life, too. I funneled all of this newfound self-loyalty into a course about high-functioning anxiety. It's called Self-Loyalty School. Creating this course is one of the most self-loyal things I've ever done. It was a challenge I put myself to, to do something based on what I know works for my clients, rather than the script I've seen other people follow. So, to kick off the season, we'll take a look at where I started on my journey to being a self-loyal business owner. We'll talk to my friend and business collaborator, Hilary Ray, plus our favorite reoccurring guest, my husband, Doug, about what changes I made to my life to bring me to this moment and how other folks can learn from that momentum. So first, let's go back, way back to when I first started my business 15 years ago. I have been in business as a therapist and coach for 15 years, and for 14 of those years, I ran my business looking for what everyone else thought I should do. If I tried something new, I would go online and research what others were doing. I called it going to committee. I would hunt down the right way to do everything. The right way to write a sales page or get someone to sign up for my newsletter. Even the right way to do my podcast. I would spend hours looking for the right way and then dive half-heartedly into the solution. Inevitably, when the solution wasn't easy or magical, I would change my mind and the cycle would repeat. My business was fine, but I was bored with it. I was tired of this cycle, but I didn't see a way out. When COVID blew up the world and many social norms, I started questioning everything. And I asked myself, why am I doing this the way everyone else has done it? Maybe there isn't a right way. Maybe there are a thousand different ways, and I just need to find my way. I saw that I was struggling with having self-loyalty. Rather than listening to myself to ease my anxiety, I was going to committee. So if it didn't go well, I could blame the committee. And when you know, those committee-sanctioned ideas didn't really work. In 2020, my desire for change was different. I wanted to change, not because I thought I was broken, but because I needed a different way. I wanted to bring more of myself into my business communication. I wanted more self-loyalty. So I committed to change the way I approached my business. I would stop looking to the experts and start looking within myself. And that led me to Hillary Ray. Okay. Hi, Hillary. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, my chair is squeaking. Hold on a minute. I should oil that for future interviews. <laughs> WD-40 would probably work. Hillary is the founder of a storytelling company based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
I run a company called Tell Me a Story, which is a communication, consulting, and coaching business where I help folks use personal narrative storytelling as a powerful communication tool. So I work with folks on communicating through story. And Nancy, I've known you for almost two years now, maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We started working together on storytelling in the fall of 2020, I think. Yeah, it feels like a lot longer than two years. <laughs> I say that in a good way. <laughs> when I decided I needed to bring more self-loyalty to my business, Hillary was one of the key people who helped me make that change. So I believe that if you have an audience, if you have listeners, if you have one person that you're communicating to even, or a group of people or thousands of people, I believe that if you share an experience from your life in the form of a story, that you have the ability to foster deeper connections with the people that you're communicating to. You have the ability to inspire the people listening to think of their own life experiences and how they impact them and inspire them to communicate. It builds trust. It sinks messages in. It helps people remember you. And it's fun as the communicator to just say, hey, this is who I am, and I'm going to have fun sharing a piece of who I am with you. I was drawn to Hillary's work because I was trying to be more vulnerable by bringing more of my personal stories into my business through my newsletter and my podcast. But I kept running up against the same problem. I love storytelling, but I couldn't bring myself and say I into my work. I needed to come from the statement of you, you, you're feeling this, you're feeling that. The common wisdom of business communication is that my business isn't about me. It's about you, the client, and what I can do for you. But what I learned from Hillary is that personal storytelling and vulnerability can actually connect with people more than that traditional you, you, you approach. A while ago, she even wrote about it in her newsletter. It was around what you were just saying about speaking from I versus speaking from you or we. And I was really trying to encourage people to think about I not as like a self-indulgent way to communicate, but that it's okay to use I and still be in service of the people that you're communicating to. And so I used this example of this salesperson. So I am, by the time this comes out, I'll be over 39 and a half, maybe 40. <laughs> and so this was something that happened to me when I was 18 or 19. It was a Dwayne Reed in Manhattan. I was in college. For those that maybe don't live in New York, Dwayne Reed is like a Walgreens or a CVS. They were one of the first drugstores. Like now I feel like drugstores have like beauty departments. <laughs> Dwayne Reed like had that before people and there were like French drugstore products. So there was like a sales rep at this random Dwayne Reed in Manhattan that had a table set up and I think it was Vichy or Vichy. I remember the brand specifically. And I was walking down the aisle and like, you know, drugstores don't have the greatest lighting. Like it is cool toned fluorescence, right? And there's like vomit colored carpeting <laughs> on the ground and all of that. So I walk by, I don't even know what I was there for. Like, I don't know, let's say I was there for toothpaste. I don't remember. <laughs> but I like walked down this aisle because it was on the way to the checkout. 
And this woman stopped me and said, excuse me, I see that you're struggling with acne. Have you ever thought about using this? Or she said, you have acne, something like it was a you statement. And I was like 18 or 19. I had had acne for like since sophomore year of high school. And it was like traumatizing. Like it wasn't the worst situation in the world, but I, you know, was under the care of a dermatologist. It like really had messed with my self-esteem, especially in high school. So when the person said you are struggling with acne or suffering from acne or you have bad acne or whatever it was that she said, I was so taken aback and I like ran out of the store. Like I don't even, I didn't steal the toothpaste. I just dropped whatever I was buying and like didn't buy it or I bought it quick and I was like so embarrassed. But I was really upset afterwards and it stuck with me. I think a lot of sales tactics are like, you are this, you feel this way. And so that's why I shared that story in my newsletter. I was like, what if that woman had shared a personal experience about her using that cream? There had to have been another way that her and I could have fostered a connection if she really actually wanted me to buy something. Obviously, in this case, the UUU tactic did not work. And I had an inkling it wasn't the right approach for my business either. Can I ask you a question or will that throw everything? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like this idea of more vulnerable, does it feel more emotionally draining or heavy to quote unquote be more vulnerable, aka like using I and using story? I wouldn't say it feels more heavy. I would say that in order to write and before I do a newsletter, I have to get really present with myself and kind of tap into that self-loyalty, tap into that voice of the biggest fan. And then when I can do that, it doesn't feel heavy. Like it just feels really natural. It's when I'm writing and I'm trying to rush through it and I haven't done the settling down that my monger comes in to say, you sh- this is, you know, who do you think you are? You're being self-absorbed. No one cares about your story. And so that's when it can feel heavy. It's such a different energy to tell stories in that way and to be really present. And I think it has infiltrated a lot of my life, not just my professional life, but in my personal life of showing up and being more present and being more vulnerable in how I share. Mm, That sounds amazing. So I'm interested to hear how you have seen my approach change. So I've worked with you now for a little bit over a year, like we've been working together on storytelling. I would say communication wise, it's a complete 180. And I mean that in like the most positive sense. And it's also not that like anything you were doing before was terrible, (laughs) but I feel like I know you. I know your work and your expertise and I know what you believe in. I know what differentiates your work and your expertise from other people. I trust you more because of how much of yourself you're sharing in addition to what it is that you're sharing. I can get transported into your ideas in a whole new way. But obviously, this change didn't happen overnight for me. And it doesn't really happen that way for anyone, not even Hillary. It's not that you start telling stories or I start telling stories and everything's like, poof, I'm loyal to myself and everyone gets me. (laughs) 
there's always these layers and maybe it's similar to your spirals of like, oh, cool. That felt really great. Oh, no. What are these people going to think? Oh, no. I have unsubscribes from my newsletter. No one's listening to my podcast. Like all of those voices come back, even if they're not true. And then you kind of have to like keep pushing through or I have to keep pushing through. No, I would agree. It has not been a smooth process. How I was communicating before, how I ran my business before was very comparing myself to other people. So I spent a lot of time seeing what other people were doing and trying to apply that to my business. And I dialed it in, in the sense of I just kind of did an overview of you have high functioning anxiety, you're into people pleasing, you're into perfectionism. And I would just say the the catchphrases without really showing. And now I feel like there's so much more richness because I could be like, ah, here's a story of how people pleasing showed up that I wasn't realizing that illustrates it so much better. I remember one day I had just cooked dinner and then I ran downstairs to switch the laundry over. And I was like, oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Doug's going to be mad at me because I'm taking so long to do the laundry. And then I thought, dude, you're doing the laundry for your family. You know, like this benefits both of you. You've cooked a dinner for both of you. Now you're doing laundry. You're not, you know, down here watching TV. You're doing stuff. And that's a great example of people pleasing and the extra layer of that. And I think that's where you're, this has helped. You're also showing people that it's not, you're not doing a you have acne kind of performance, you're like showing people like, hey, I am an expert in this thing because of my degree, my background, my breadth of clients that I've worked with, but also I have this thing and it doesn't go away. But here I know how to help you because I'm in a different place with this and I know what you're going through. And here are some stories Mm -hmm. that like I don't have to convince you because here are some stories about that. So to me, it just feels like It doesn't diminish your credibility. If anything, it enhances it. You know, I think anytime you're going to make change, it does, because this has been a major change for me. And I didn't realize it was happening. I was like, I want to add more storytelling to my business. And, you know, Hillary's going to help me do that and beginning, middle and end and et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't really realize how it would change not only my, it would change everything. You know, it would change how I approached my business and how I approached my work and how I approach my marriage, how I show up with my friends, that it really helped me build self-loyalty. I want to hear what is your personal definition of self-loyalty? I think actually the other a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to define vulnerability And I answered it as a way of showing up for myself and a way of showing up for other people. And I would say self-loyalty is a way I can show up for myself so that I can show up for other people. Mm -hmm. So I see it as it's a kindness, but it's also like a truth telling that has to start with me before I can get to other people. Do you have a story of a time you saw me being self-loyal? All the time. Can I say that? Ah. But also in what you're doing with your course is like, I would say, 250% self-loyalty. 
because you were like, I don't want to do this like anyone else. I want to do this the way, like format wise, how I want to do it. And I also want to do it in the way that's going to make the most sense for the people that really need this. And I want to use storytelling the whole time. And so that to me was like you committing to that and trusting that over like seeing what's the right quote unquote way to like put a course out into the world. What is your relationship with change? Do you like it? Do you hate it? So I both love change and hate it. Here's an example of hating it. I always order the same thing at every restaurant. Like if I go to a restaurant and I've tried, like I guess at one point I had to try (laughs) something new, right? But if that was then the thing I loved, I always get it. Always. Like for lunch yesterday, I like treated myself to order takeout and I like got the same thing that I always get. Vegan buffalo wings and french fries from this one place. Do you debate changing it or you just always, you don't even debate it? No. However, I'm also really big into like long-term drastic challenges that work towards a change. So I did this with meditation. Like I meditated every single day for over a year, a handful of years ago. And now I meditate a couple times a week and I like am fine with that. But that was a huge change for me. I have just like two decision making cues in my brain. And one is like, everything has to be this way all the time. Or let's just go for the total other thing. And But I'm going to take little steps to get there. I think it's always like, I have to get a big awakening of I need this to change. But then I take small steps and repetitive steps to get there. So what do you think it's important for people to be aware of as we are doing change in our lives? Mm. Trying something new on a menu probably could lead to a new favorite food, which I'm now saying out loud for myself, because it's funny, I'm like very into change in other aspects. I just think like you're never going to know what the change will feel like or what the change will allow you to actually do or allow you to understand about yourself. There's no way to predict what that's going to feel like, look like, be like. And so if I'm too focused on that, what's it going to be like, feel like, look like, I'm never going to do it. But if I look at all the changes I have made, and I, I don't have any like big life, quote unquote, life changing moment or anything. But if I look at all of the like, small changes I've made, the right thing to do was to make the choice to change whether I knew what was going to happen or not. Yeah, because I think that's why I love the concept of self-loyalty so much, because even if it doesn't work out, you're still you. Mm -hmm. You know, like that idea. And I think there's a lot of, I know for me, there's always been a lot of disconnecting of, oh, but I need to be that person. Yeah. And bringing this back to storytelling, I didn't feel comfortable with being fully being me until I stepped on a stage and shared a story from my life. And it wasn't that I was trying to be someone else. I think I just had this idea of like who I should become instead of embracing who I am. And now that storytelling is so ingrained in like everything that I do, first it started as like, a way to express myself and perform on stage. But even that, I was like, oh, I don't have to be a character. I can use my voice in a different way and no one's going to tell me it has to sound a certain way. That's the way I'm 
loyal to myself is like being okay with who I am and like loving who I am, but because I can feel comfortable sharing who I am with other people. Mm -hmm. And when I hear other people share stories, like when you share stories or just out in the world, I feel better about myself too. And not better like, oh, I'm better off than that person, but I think I'm not alone. And so then I have more self-loyalty because I can trust that I'm not alone in how I feel or what's happening to me. I always loved storytelling, and I loved Hillary's approach. It was exactly what I wanted to do, a perfect way to build self-loyalty into my business and into my life. Now that I've rewritten myself back into the narrative of my business, not only am I more engaged in my work, but so are my clients. The more I share my story, the more people respond that they feel less alone, which is exactly why I made the change. My husband, Doug, has seen it firsthand. Okay, so this is the conversation with Doug. Take one. <laughs> Take one. Okay, so introduce yourself just for the kicks and giggles of it. Doug Harris. I'm Nancy Jane Smith's husband, the guy that believes in her the most. Aw, that's so sweet. What's your definition of self-loyalty? Well, self-loyalty is a tricky one because there's what you want to do that's loyal to you, and then there's what everyone else is doing that's loyal to them. And you really have to choose what you want to do over what everybody else is doing. And sometimes they will be like, that's not the best thing for you, but you know that what is best for you and you do that. And that's when you're being self-loyal. Have you seen, would you say you've seen me change in my practice of self-loyalty? Definitely. Not just in your like your practice of your everyday self, but in your practice as a whole. It's a confidence, it's a belief system, it's a yes, literally a way that you carry yourself when you walk around the house, maybe because I didn't ever see you walk around the office, but <laughs> you you're very like proud of look, I, I help my clients. They've made progress. I only needed to help them for this short period of time and that's great for them. Yeah, because I feel like I was in this year, this past year, I've really tried to change my focus from what the marketing experts told me I should do and to more following my own experience and loyalty. And knowing what works for you, the, the high functioning, I mean, if there's a poster child, sweetheart, you are. <laughs> so you know pretty well <laughs> what's going to work and to set aside one hour every so often to hopefully meet all your problems doesn't work as well as the way that you do it and you know that and you carry yourself with that one thing i felt with my high functioning anxiety was like i was the only freak in the world that had this and so being able to share my story helps people feel less lonely and you we were talking last night about authenticity and how that i think i've discovered that is kind of a superpower of mine I mean, you, I don't know that you could be non-authentic anymore. <laughs> You're kind of like, here I am, and here's what I think, and love you. <laughs> <laughs> Adding this vulnerability to my business life, it has been a hard change to make. One that I work at every single day. But it's taught me that change is slow and deliberate. Change is hard, and it's worth it when it's grounded in a powerful why. 
This past year of change has been scary, raw, and vulnerable, and gratifying. Gone is the boredom and the going through the motions. But this is also not a story of redemption. The big change I made wasn't a story of me fixing myself. This was me approaching change, not from a place of needing to be fixed, but a place of seeing what's possible when I lean into self-loyalty. That's it for this week. In our next episode, we're going to look at change in the brain. I'll speak to a professor of psychology who actually studies how our brain forms habits and the brain science behind reaching our goals. That's next time on The Happier Approach. The Happier Approach is produced by Nikki Stein and me, Nancy Jane Smith. Music provided by Pod5 and Epidemic Sound. For more episodes, to get in touch, or to learn more about Self-Loyalty School, you can visit nancyjanesmith.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review. It actually helps us out a lot. Special thanks to Hillary Ray and Doug Harris for speaking with us today. As you heard firsthand, Hillary is an amazing storyteller and communicator. If you'd like to work with her, you can get in touch at tellmeastory.info. The Happier Approach will be back with another episode in two weeks. Take care until then.